spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing. Good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Wednesday, January 19th. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise here on Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we'll be spotlighting our economy and the impact that COVID-19 has had, as well as projections as we look into this new year. That's right. It is the start, of course, of the Hawaii State Legislative Session, and we thought it would be perfect timing to talk to Hero Executive Director, Professor of Economics at UH, and economist Car Carl Bonham. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. When we look out at the economy, uh, sort of broad strokes to start us off, how is Hawaii looking right now from your vantage point? You know, we're doing a lot better than we were one year ago, uh, so that's the that's sort of the positive positive note, um, but these last two waves of, of uh, the coronavirus have, have impacted us pretty, pretty significantly in terms of slowing down business activity, slowing down hiring, um, and you know, really we've seen a complete pause in, in the job market recovery as measured by the, the, the number of jobs since uh, the Delta variant hit. Uh, and we're seeing, we saw a pretty sharp drop off in, in mobility, um, with the Omicron wave. And of course, with, with Omicron, it's it's really impacting uh, businesses and households in terms of their ability to go to work, right? Even people who who are sort of actively in, in the labor market and working are dealing with, uh, you know, children getting, getting Omicron, themselves getting Omicron and staffing shortages. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of headwinds, um, everything from, from the sort of decline in in federal spending uh, from the peaks that we saw early in, in 2021. And now, you know, now we're dealing with an, another wave uh, of, of the coronavirus. And so uh, notwithstanding the, the incredible surge in, in tax revenues that we've seen uh, coming out of the council revenues forecast and actual collections, uh, the overall economy is, is uh, still very challenged. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, tax projections and the revenue that is coming in and how the legislature will now have to decide of, of how to use that. We know that Governor David Ige submitted his version of the budget to the legislature uh, last month for them to review. And of course, they will be going through that as the legislature unfolds. Uh, the governor wants to put aside $1 billion into the rainy day fund. Lawmakers say they'd like to spend that money more for those working families, as they say, immediately. Your thoughts on those overall projections and how that could impact the state budget moving forward? Well, so, you know, we, we think about uh, revenue projections jumping and, and you know, the, there was, um, you know, almost a billion dollars in, in revenue increase at the, throughout the end of last fiscal year. And, and the council just raised its forecast for this fiscal year by close to a billion dollars. Um, and, so much of that money, uh, I, I'm guessing, will end up going to restoring uh, cuts that were put, were put in place last session. Uh, so, you know, there were widespread cuts 
that, uh, you know, unless you've decided that those programs really aren't important, uh, that's sort of one of the first priorities is, is uh, de both dealing with the, with the pandemic, but storing uh, levels of services. And so that's, that's one of the uses. Uh, re you know, building up the rainy day fund uh, makes some sense. I'd like to see it based on uh, an analysis of need. In other words, how much, how big should the rainy day fund be? And it's true that during the Great Depression, I'm sorry, the Great Recession, uh, multiple years of tax revenue uh, declines uh, were more than a billion dollars in, in revenue below what was expected. But the Great Recession was also very unique, right? A typical recession doesn't lead to a billion plus in lost revenues. And so that, that, that number may be too high. Um, it would be nice to have it be, be based on uh, real analysis. Uh, clearly there are, are needs uh, amongst the, the most vulnerable in our, in our uh, society and um, doing things to, to address uh, those needs, whether it's you know, raising the minimum wage, um, you know, making the earned income tax credit refundable, uh, those are all important things. And an, another sort of logical use of the funds, uh, given that they're, they really should be thought of as, as one-time uh, sort of surprise increases in revenues, uh, it, it would make sense to allocate some of those to paying down the state's unfunded liabilities, right? The, the, last, the last report, I don't know if the, if the report for, uh, the most recent report has come out in January yet, uh, but the last report showed that the, the state's um, retirement benefits, health benefits, we're, we're at about 50, 55% funded, and it would take out until close to 2040 to fully fund. And so it would make some sense to allocate some of these, these surprise revenues to making a dent in, in that issue. Let's talk a little bit about what people are seeing on the ground right now, because I think when we hear that there's a billion dollars for for lawmakers to argue about, um, that paints a very rosy picture, the impression being that things are, are pretty good. Uh, and if you look at all the labor shortages, it seems like if you want a job, you can find one. We focused a lot on this program and over the last two years of the pandemic, talking about you know the really high unemployment rate that Hawaii had at one point. How are we looking in terms of getting jobs and finding jobs and finding good ones right now? What's the unemployment and the labor market look like? You know, the, lab the labor market really is uh, one of the, um, I guess, if you will, the most most confusing or more, most jumbled uh, piece of the economy. There's so much going on. Uh, it's true that, that Hawaii had, um, you know, had an incredibly high unemployment rate and uh, hundreds of thousands of people unemployed. We still have um, 30 plus thousand. I think it's we're right at about 38,000 people who uh, are, are counted as unemployed in the state. Uh, despite the, you know, the reports of of being unable unable to hire, and some of what's going on is the labor force has shrunk uh, by 26,000 people, uh, and so that by itself, you know, when you when the economy starts to bounce back, and certain sectors of the economy that had large job losses, such as in accommodations and food services and retail, um, you know, they're trying to bring back a large number of workers. But many of those workers may very well have left the state. Uh, the, the population decline from pre-pandemic till now, we estimated about 27,000 people. So larger than the loss in the labor force. And, and you know, one of the things that's contributing to this is a, a big increase in retirements. Uh, so sort of a back of the envelope estimate is that 
we probably saw uh, six or 7,000 retirements over this time period, uh, quite a bit more than what you would expect just from purely demographic. So people are retiring early, they're, they're, uh, people are leaving the state, uh, and so the labor force has shrunk, and that contributes to our unemployment rate coming down. Uh, so it, it, there's no uh, perfect answer as to exactly what's going on. Uh, businesses are struggling to find workers. Um, that's, the, that's the same across the entire country. Uh, and yet we still have people uh, being counted as unemployed. And so it's, it's something that it's going to take four or five years, I think, to figure out exactly what happened. Um, and in, in the meantime, the, the unemployment rate numbers are going to continue to continue to decline. And we're going to get close to what, um, what you, would, you would call full employment uh, much sooner than anybody, anybody really thought. Another issue, of course, that we have here in the islands is just the overall cost of living. Uh, but we are hearing and we're seeing those prices continue to go up. And we're also seeing it on the mainland. Many people are uh, worried about the inflation and the cost of goods and services as they, uh, you know, throughout this pandemic. And as we're seeing right now, uh, what are your thoughts on where we're going at with just the overall cost of goods and services to do business? It's becoming more and more expensive for different retailers and for restaurants who do business here in Hawaii with the rising costs. And how is that going to impact the overall economy here locally and nationally? So the inflation picture is actually another, another one of those areas that um, is directly impacted by the pandemic, right? The, the federal reserve has poured an enormous amount of stimulus into the national economy um, with with low interest rates and uh, basically creating money. And in any normal time, that would lead to a, a boost of inflation. And the reason that they did that uh, was the expectation of a decline in demand because of job losses and the, the effects of the pandemic. So this is really all being driven by pandemic. It's policy, it's policy related. And then you throw into that uh, federal stimulus, which boosted demand, and then supply the supply bottlenecks that came uh, largely because of the pandemic. I mean, a combination of, of shifting demand and and things like port closures and and you know plants being shut down for for a month because of outbreaks of COVID. Uh, and you know you so you can't get a computer chip to build a car. Um, then you don't build the cars, and you don't build the cars. They don't end up in the lots. And next thing you know, you've got new and used car prices uh, that are leading the way for, for inflation. Uh, the good news, the slight good news, is that uh, while the year-over-year -year inflation numbers, uh, that we, we, we just got the data for November uh, a week or so ago that showed a year-over-year -year inflation number uh, nationally at, at around 7%, and Hawaii not much behind that, um, but the the month-to-month -month changes aren't nearly that high, um, even, even annualizing them. So in other words, the, it doesn't appear that in inflation is accelerating. Uh, and the big increase in, in inflation actually happened earlier this year, uh, where in you know, March, April, May, uh, we saw big price increases. So there's, there's some reason to hope that we have sort of uh, plateaued, if you will, uh, but it's still going to take several years for this to, to calm down. And the area where it's going to impact Hawaii residents and Hawaii households most directly is in housing. Uh, so house, you know, housing prices and rents have both uh, both gone up in the in the double digit range, depending on on the neighborhood and and the island. 
Uh, and those, you know, those will have persistent uh, cost of living effects uh, for the next several years. And our, so our inflation numbers will remain elevated. Our forecast is for 4% inflation this year and next. Uh, and, and actually for the whole year for 2021, that's pretty close to what we're, we're likely to see is 4%, despite that, those, those recent data points that were much higher. One of the things that, that you touched on earlier was the minimum wage increase. Small business owners, some small business owners who oppose the minimum wage increase said that that could lead to more inflation because they're going to either have to, you know, have to pay workers more, lay some off or drive up prices to accommodate those wage increases. How likely do you think that minimum wage is to pass this session and, and what kind of an impact do you think that would have on the economy overall? Yeah, that, so I, I think there's a a pretty high likelihood that we will see uh, minimum wage legislation that that uh, gets through those, the legislative process here and is signed by the governor. Um, and part of the reason for that uh, is I I actually don't think the impacts will be uh, nearly as large as as might be feared. And the primary reason for that is that wages have gone up, right? So I mean our our the, our minimum wage is at ten dollars and ten cents an hour, and it's been stuck there for several years. And if you look at uh, the most recent data we have on uh, good, good quality data we have on wages uh, tells us that even in, in areas, so let's say uh, waiters and waitresses or, or in the food service areas, uh, dishwashers or, or counter help, um, the, the bottom 10% of the wage distribution in those, in those hourly wage jobs uh, is in almost all cases. Uh, above uh, 11 or 12 dollars an hour and so the initial effects of a of a uh, increase in minimum wages to, to whatever the whatever the ledge decides on um, are not likely to be nearly as as large as people might might fear and then on on in terms of pass through to inflation it is true that i mean one of the reasons why you we tend not to see job losses when you when you have increases in minimum wage uh, and this is from national research is because businesses are able to pass along the costs. And the reason they're able to pass along the costs is because it's not just hitting a single business, it's hitting everyone, right? So all food service, all restaurant, all retail are subject to exactly the same cost effect. And, but you have to remember that labor is not, that doesn't determine the entire cost of, of a restaurant meal or you know, buying something in a, in a retail outlet. Um, you know, the, the labor bill might be 30 to 40 percent of, of the total cost. So if you move if you move wages up by 10 percent and then you're only talking about a third of that is is getting passed through into the price, the effects on inflation tend to be pretty small uh, and they're small enough. Right. So if your plate lunch goes up by 25 cents or 50 cents, uh, you don't change your demand. Right. You don't then start um, you know eating at home because that plate lunch went up by, by 50 cents. In fact, we've already seen these price increases. So the, the, that's the other reason is that wages, because of these, these labor shortages, uh, wages have probably gone up much more in 2021. And so the, the minimum will still, again, be catching up, right? And so it, I don't think it's, it's really going to be a driving force in, in inflation uh, or for that matter, even pushback uh, against the, the changes. I want to shift gears to talk about, you know, one of the largest drivers in our economy, and that's tourism, the impact that we've seen with, uh, you know, this pandemic and visitors and travelers, you know, not coming to the islands. And then we saw a large surge of them coming during the summer months and it tapered off 
uh, somewhat during the, these winter months as Omicron continued to spread. What have we seen in the past year uh, with the tourism industry and what are some of the projections moving forward of the type of visitors that are coming, what they're spending? We still uh, have not seen the return of the Japanese tourists who we know, a uh, visitor that we know is usually traditionally the bigger spenders. Uh, but what are we seeing and predicting in terms of the tourism uh, in, tourism's impact on the economy looking forward to this year? Yeah, that's a that's a multifaceted good question, and um, you know, really, what we have seen uh, over the last year was with you know with the uh, the various waves of COVID, every one of them have had an impact on on whether people are coming to the islands, and uh, that's true with or without policy statements about whether they should come. Um, certainly during Delta, uh, so. We estimated that there was in, using seasonally adjusted data. So taking out, you know, at the end of uh, July, August is usually a smaller month than July, and September is much, much lower in October. And when we did the, when we seasonally adjusted the visitor data, uh, we still found close to a 25% drop in in arrivals uh, that we would attribute to Delta, um, primarily to Delta, and to to you know the governor's statement that you shouldn't come. Um, and with Omicron. Uh, we're certainly seeing we haven't we don't have a full month of, of data yet it's been because it, we don't have all of all of uh, january yet and it really didn't hit until late december um we are seeing uh, a pretty pretty serious drop in in january numbers but we don't have that seasonally adjusted yet so it's 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 kind of hard to tell what so what one of the things that we know is that the u.s market um seems to be pretty resilient right they they um they seem to largely keep coming, but we still, as you mentioned, we're still very much missing the international market. Um, the and so the looking forward, the outlook for for tourism in in 2022 uh, really depends in many ways on whether we we get international visitors back, uh, and that's that's very important from the spending side. The spending has actually been higher, uh, has, has grown faster than than arrivals. And that partly reflects the uh, much, much higher room rates that, that we're seeing across the state, but mostly on the neighbor islands, right? Waikiki, it's, it's, it's really a very different story when you talk about Waikiki versus the neighbor islands or Oahu versus the, the neighbor islands because we don't have those international visitors back. And so if you, you, know, if you look at what um, you know, our last forecast for, for total visitor arrivals in, in uh, 2022, was to get to about eight million visitors, um, and and that assumed that we began to see Japanese visitors coming back late spring, because we don't anticipate that the summer of 2022 is going to look like the summer of 2021, where um, you know we set records for the number of U.S. visitors on some islands. So, with that that idea being that the people who came in the summer last summer, they're not necessarily repeat visitors. That was sort of a I've got some pandemic saved up cash, and I'm going to go on this once in a lifetime vacation. These are not the kind of tourists that we're used to seeing. Um, so, if those international visitors don't come back, what is the picture for us? Well, it's uh, so. In, when we do our forecast reports, we're doing scenarios because no one knows what the pandemic's going to bring, right? At this point, we don't know if there's going to be another variant this summer. Uh, I mean, if if we if COVID behaves the way it has so far, we should be expecting an, another variant in you know April, and 
you know, whether it's more virulent or less virulent, nobody really knows. And so we we're doing scenarios and, you know, you can kind of pick how pessimistic or optimistic you want to be. And the scenarios amount to about a billion dollars of visitor spending um, between our baseline and our low. And so, you know, and in the low, um, you, you would probably miss the summer. So the pessimistic uh, scenario would be you might miss the summer of international visitors and you don't have a repeat in terms of U.S. visitors to the islands. Uh, and so that ends up being about a billion dollars uh, less in, in visitor spending um, and about a percentage point of unemployment and six or seven thousand jobs um, and that, that we don't that we don't add back. Right. It's not so much a loss of jobs. It's just stag stagnation instead of, you know, what we really need to see is is a, a more stable, steady recovery where we don't get hit every three months by another pause in in recovery. And that's what we've seen is that with each wave, there's there's a pause. Uh, and if we can, if we really are past this with Omicron, um, which we've thought every time, right? Every single after every wave, everybody sort of had a sigh of relief and oh, we're you know we're, we're probably done with this, and it hasn't been true. But if that's the case, um, then we can get on a stable recovery path uh, that is is really a much more optimistic outlook. You know, there continues to be a lot of talk about diversifying the economy. And that conversation, again, came up during the pandemic when we saw the reliance uh, illustrated on our tourism industry. And many were saying we're going to redefine the way in which we, uh, you know, help this economy move forward beyond just tourism. That is yet to be seen. Of course, this is we know that this is something that doesn't happen overnight. It does take time. But one area uh, that seems to be growing uh, pretty rapidly is just the local startups, entrepreneurs, uh, different products that are made based in Hawaii. There seems to be, uh, you know, more accelerated programs and other initiatives to help uh, some of these smaller businesses get off the ground. We know of a number of cohorts and things that have been started. Uh, if you can speak to maybe the impact of just the diversification of the economy overall and how much of an impact some of these smaller businesses uh, are having on the health of the economy overall and how things may look for these smaller businesses moving forward. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot going on in uh, sort of entrepreneurial activities that um, it, that's not entirely new, right? I mean, the, the growth of the accelerators um, at, really happened four or five years ago, and there continue to be new developments in that space. And those are all very, very positive. And there's there's good research that that shows that uh, when you have high quality accelerators like we do, like we do in Hawaii, it benefits not just the the entrepreneurs who go through their programs, right, and get training and mentoring and, um, you know, help with their getting their products to market, but also it helps the broader economy. Um, so businesses that that don't go through the program also benefit. And so those are those are great programs. Um, the other thing is that we we have seen uh, some some increase, uh, a pretty pretty market increase in new business formation um, that that really uh, was sort of mid to late 2020, uh, maybe the beginning of 2021, and uh, has slowed down a little bit. That uh, is almost certainly a, a, an outcropping of the of the pandemic, right? You you either lose your job in, you know, take your pick of the industries that were hardest hit, uh, retail or, or food service or uh, whatever. And so in response to that, you, you know, you start a business. 
Um, you, you know, you start making things that you're selling uh, from your home and maybe you're selling online or you're delivering food or uh, so, you, you know, you, there's a natural uh, and, and then the other flip side, the other issue there is that uh, people not wanting to be in, you know, certain types of work environments and choosing to to leave those and start businesses. And this this relates to the, that issue of, of businesses having a hard time finding finding workers. Right. If if. Uh, we've seen an uptick in uh, people starting businesses. They're no longer uh, making their their skills available to to employers, and it, it's impacting uh, that as well. You know, having said all that, this these are you know these are small um, startup type operations that um, often uh, lead to uh, can lead to fairly rapid growth in in activities and sometimes in jobs, but they're still very very small. Right. And so the bulk of jobs are still in the in, in the biggest businesses. Um, and, and so it's there's an effect uh, and it's small. And this is part of why diversification is is a struggle. And, you know, you, you, you can't flip a switch and see big changes, uh, you know, other than, you know, having a, a whole industry or a, a large company relocate to Hawaii, which, of course, is is in most cases highly unlikely because of. Uh, all of the all of the barriers that that businesses face in Hawaii. Uh, so we're working on a research agenda. Stephen Bond Smith, who was uh, a faculty member that we were able able to hire uh, right in the middle of a hiring freeze because of the the generous support of the community. Uh, that's his research agenda: is what should we be doing to diversify Hawaii's economy, to innovate, uh, to to make to make the economy a place where that's more equitable. Um, and so he's he's working on trying to identify uh, sort of niche areas where Hawaii already has strengths and yet we're missing something that you would expect to, to sort of go along with it. Uh, so, you know, what kinds of small industries might be able to experience a small nudge from from uh, policymakers or maybe they just need a piece of infrastructure to to sort of get going. And so. We're hoping to be able to contribute in, in a positive fashion, rather than just saying you can't flip a switch. Um, I mean, I think most people already already recognize that, and, and the, the diversification issue is a is a is a is a difficult one. Um, and you basically you just have to try and do it with with good analysis and good data, and and be be wary of sort of chasing opportunities that aren't really real opportunities. One of the things that uh, this the, this particular administration, when you look at Honolulu Hale, that's very different than the previous administration, is that they have been very reluctant to do shutdowns in a way that Kirk Caldwell's administration was not. They had the tier system and the lines in the sand were drawn and you kind of knew where you were going. Uh, with uh, Mayor Blangiardi, he says he looks at hospitalizations and you've seen that he's been very reluctant to do any restriction. And he says that that's really an economic decision that we financially could not weather another shutdown. Uh, what is your thought, not from a public health standpoint, but really from an economic standpoint, you know, we've seen these cases continue to go up and we are expecting hospital surges to come. Uh, you know, a lot of public health officials say it's probably at the end of this month. If that does lead to restrictions and a more severe shutdown, can we weather that kind of a storm? So th that's a that's a great question. Um, you know whether or not businesses can. So in the first first case, that there's there are big differences between uh, where we are in the world uh, now versus uh, the Caldwell Car, 
Caldwell administration, right? We, we didn't have the vaccines. We didn't have the knowledge that we have now. And, you know, people really have um, gotten better at, at living with COVID. We, we still need to get better given the case counts. Uh, frankly, my guess is that uh, we have seen the peak and it's, it's really challenging with the, the way that the case data comes out in Hawaii where, uh, you know, you may remember, I think it was on the 15th, uh, everybody was reporting the record high. It was 5,900 cases. Uh, well, today, if you go look and see what is being reported for the 15th, it's about 4,000 cases. Um, and so what's, I think what's happening is we're getting suspected cases, which then are being removed in the future. And so uh, my hunch is that, that we will, we've plateaued uh, and we will see cases starting to go down. And we're seeing that around the world where in the UK cases have come down very, very rapidly. And Hawaii really entered this uh, only a week or so behind the UK. And on the East Coast, we're seeing cases come down. So my guess is we're, that that's going to happen. Uh, and with some luck, we won't end up with the, the hospitalization numbers that, that are, are really feared. Of course, luck's not a good, good way to conduct policy. Um, but the, the shutdowns, you have to remember that, that um, economic effects on, on health are very, very real, right? So, uh, you know, I mentioned that we, we've seen an uptick in unemployment claims. And so for individual households, you know, going through multiple uh, bouts of unemployment and, and, you know, having long spans of unemployment, those have very real health effects. Uh, on on mental health, um, on you know alcohol and drug abuse, on uh, long term uh, long term employability, and so you know if we want to think about public health very broadly, uh, then the economy is part of that, and and so it, it, I think it, it it makes good sense to be very cautious about about shutdowns. Uh, having said that, I, I also think it would have been uh, it would be nice to see. Um, more stringent uh, vaccine passports. I mean, in my my opinion, everybody should be should have to get a booster in order to. Uh, I mean, if you follow the logic for why we did vaccine passports in the first place, which really is to protect workers and employees and and, and customers and to prevent a shutdown, right? Well, to do that now, you've got to you've got to make sure you don't have a crisis in the hospitals, and without the boosters, uh, the two dose regimen is. You know, you know, it's just not as effective as it used to be. And so if you follow exactly the same logic, then all those rules should should be boosted. Um, and, you know, we're beginning to hear some talk about that. And I understand it's it's challenging. But remember, the, the goal there is to keep keep us functioning and keep the economy going. And, and it's not, you know, it's not just serving businesses, it's serving all of us. Well, on that note, we will uh, put this to a close. Thank you so much, Carl Baum, from you here for joining us here this morning, providing us uh, an outlook for what the economic future looks like and providing some context into some of our economic questions that we presented this morning. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha.
Great to hear from him on this day as we start the legislative session and lawmakers deciding what to do with the uh, extra tax money that they are debating. Uh, we are gearing up for definitely a showdown between the governor's office and legislative leadership when it comes to that $1 billion. Uh, you heard there Carl Bonham saying that that might be a little bit excessive from the governor's standpoint, that perhaps the rainy day fund does not need that kind of uh, robust cushion and that there are some immediate needs uh, and he did mention those unfunded liabilities that comes up all the time uh, and that that would be perhaps a better use of that money than putting all of it into the rainy day fund. And we know that that is something that the governor has advocated for in the past and be has become one of his uh, priorities over his administration. It's not the sexiest item to campaign on. Uh, luckily, he is not campaigning, so he doesn't have to bring that up. But unfunded liabilities has always been something that the governor has, uh, you know, been aware of and, and something that he's tried to trickle down. And so there may be some common ground there. If there was any room for negotiation, we'll just have to see how things shake out with this legislative session. We also got a better context into these unemployment numbers and what's happening. And, you know, you heard from Carl Bonham of the significant amount of people that have left the islands due to the pandemic. Uh, and just by their departure from the islands has also caused uh, employers do not have as big of a field to draw people to come into work. And so he's saying some of those positions and people that have left simply aren't here on island anymore. Uh, and that is one of the many factors into why we are seeing this, uh, you know, the numbers that we're seeing with the unemployment, but also this large demand for work. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about the different sort of forces in the economy right now and all of the different models that they're doing because there is so much uncertainty. Will there be another variant? Will international visitors be allowed to come back? Those kind of questions really impact the forecasting that they are able to do. But it was great to hear his perspective. Um, and it does sound like wages have gone up because of those high demands on workers. And so uh, it is likely that the minimum wage hike will be passed and also likely that we won't necessarily feel the impact to start because he said already that the bottom 10% of uh, minimum wage workers, uh, when you look at what they're being paid, it's actually more than the minimum wage already. So, you know, your plate lunch probably won't increase by that much, perhaps 25 cents or 50 cents. And he said that that will not change behavior. So interesting to hear, uh, you know, his thoughts on all of it. We love having him on. And on Friday here, we are going to be talking to Dr. Libby Char. And we know that so many of you have questions for her. Yeah, of course, the health director will be on the, the show to talk about what's happening with COVID-19, what we're seeing in the community, uh, the different procedures and, and process in which the health department is now calculating these numbers. We know that they have been overwhelmed with test, res uh, test results that are coming in, the reporting that they've had to do. Uh, we'd like to just get an overall update on how the Department of Health is dealing with that, as well as get an update on what's happening at Red Hill. So a lot to talk to her about. We thank you for being a part of our morning, and we look forward to seeing you right back here on Friday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing.